Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's up, buds? Welcome back to Jaber's Rink Radio. I am your host, Adam Stringham, and today I'm happy to once again be joined by Rob Parker for some nice uh, rink wraps. How you doing, Rob? Hey, String. Nice to be back. Hope you're doing well and uh, got some nice relaxation on your vacation. Yeah, yeah, it was good. I, I'm back in town for a few days, then I'm actually heading back out of town uh, coming up here on Friday. So uh, it, it's it's pretty Living good, pretty life. exciting. and. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a nice busy month for me. So, uh, couldn't, couldn't come at a better time. So, um, let, let's get started here with these rink wraps and start with, uh, one of those nice young guys that I, I believe we've been talking about in other contexts relatively frequently on these last few episodes. And that's, uh, Christian Juice. You'd think we'd already recapped him with how much we've talked about him. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've gotten the ancillary parts, but you know, probably deserves a little bit treatment on his own. Um, you know, it is funny that he kind of fits in as one of those <clears throat> final pieces to the puzzle. So he, he sort of does impact um, a bunch of different people. But, you know, I, I think he's one of the guys where I know we're, I know we've got a lot of high scores and uh, I'll try to not begrudge anyone their own. I, I am going to begrudge. You know what? If you just vote 10 just because it's a Stanley Cup, then you're being lazy. How about that? So Christian Juice <laughs> is one of the guys that maybe deserves a 10 actually because of his actual performance. When you look at your ex ante expectations, you know, what else could you expect from the guy? Um, I'm not sure I'm there. You know, I liked his game. I thought it was impressive that he was able to even lock down a spot. Um, you know, and as we talked about, you know, last week, I think it's, it's kind of tough to figure out how much credit versus um, critique belongs between Juice and Bowie, but, you know, at the at the end of the day, Juice got the, the spot. He held it down. I never expected him to be a regular in the playoffs. So, you know, you got to say he did better than expected. And, you know, I'm sure that you love his possession numbers. So I'll give you a chance to, to make the case. No, I, I'm a real big fan of, uh, of Juice and he, he didn't get a ton of minutes in the playoffs. You know, he, he was about 11 minutes per game, but I thought he looked well when he was out there, especially as the playoffs went, went along. Um, you know, it, it's not always easy playing with Brooks, playing with Brooks Orpic, but, uh, the two of them were a good line, at least in terms of goals for, right? Uh, that good old plus minus stat, but, uh, just generally speaking, um, I like Juice's game. I like how he moves the puck. He's a bit like a Nate Schmidt type guy. Uh, not quite as good of a skater as Nate Schmidt, but, um, you know, there was a reason he was able to put up so many points at the AHL level and it wasn't all just because of his, uh, successful power play work there. So, um, you know, I think I was higher on Juice going into the season than a lot of other guys, but, um, it's easy to forget that the Capitals, at one point, uh, people were saying that the Caps were going to send him down and expose him to waivers before the season started. And man, it's looking like a, it, it was a great decision not to. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously a great decision not to. Honestly, I don't have that much faith in NHL GMs that they would have even taken him. I think a lot of guys would have looked at a, 
you know, 160 pounds soaking wet defenseman and said, no, he can't play. Um, so maybe he gets through, but you know, that, that's sort of irrelevant. Uh, you know, their goals were nice, but you're, you're crediting them for percentages that weren't really, um, their credit, right? They, for sure. So, I mean, that's how goal score often goes, right? Well, right. It's just a little inconsistent because, um, you know, normally if you're gonna, if you're gonna hang your hat on possession numbers, you gotta kind of disclaim some of those percentages versus, um, cherry picking when you wanna, you know, look at the goals number versus the possession numbers. And, you know, for me, I just can't shake that I know that he was super sheltered and I know that, you know, third pairing defensemen on a good team are, are gonna do, you know, pretty well, um, in most cases. So, you know, that's, that's where my struggle is in terms of figuring out how to evaluate him. Uh, you know, I agree. He probably is not as great a straight line skater as Nate Schmidt right now. Um, no. but he's younger, right? I, I think if you look at their same point on the, the age development curve, Juice is probably ahead of Nate Schmidt, right? Because Nate Schmidt didn't, you know, he went through he started school, pretty late, school college pretty late, yeah. and then he had his, his Hershey years and then he came up and, you know, it's hard to understand how much, um, Barry Trotz's mentality might have changed, right? Because clearly Nate Schmidt was not getting the opportunities that, that Christian Juice got, right? He deserved, we, yeah. Where we saw them trade for Weber, um, and, and Schmidt had one bad backhand pass in that playoff series and he didn't see the ice again. And then, you know, Weber took it. So, you know, would Christian Juice have gotten the opportunities two years ago? Who knows? Um, you know, I, I guess just sort of trying to give him some credit and defense on the, the Nate Schmidt comparison. But, uh, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about drafting lately. And I think that he's yeah. got to be one of, one of the big wins in terms of drafting and development to the, to the point that, you know, let's say he doesn't grow that much more. Let's say he doesn't become a top pairing defenseman on a really good team like Nate Schmidt. I feel like you still have to call the guy a win, right? I mean, even with minimal yeah. upside. He's, he's given them really important minutes aside from obviously he, he's got his hands on the cup, but, um, you know, he, he's filled an important part. And, and for me, the, the real question is, you know, how much of this can we expect moving forward and, and what does he look like, um, in different usage, whether that means, you know, less, um, you know, fewer offensive zone starts or, you know, less time with Brooks Orpic or, you know, higher minute or higher um, depth chart minutes. It's it's hard to project, but as far as this year went, uh, I don't see how you can say it's anything but a huge win for him. Yeah, I mean, he did play 530 odd minutes with John Carlson. So, um, you know, and he had both good goals for and shot attempt. Uh, Corsi four numbers with, with John Carlson. He was at uh, 52% um, and a 56% goals for. I don't know who that Carlson line was often on the ice with forward wise, but um, all in all, I mean, that's, that, that, that's pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, that's great. And so, and if you're worried about whether or not he can play up, um, that's, that's a pretty good sign. I guess one of the questions that comes to mind, and again, I know I'm, I'm kind of off topic with some of these, but does the, does the fact that Juice played so well with Carlson make you a little, um, concerned about the Kempney deal at all? Do you, do you wonder whether or not it was necessary to, to sign him for four years when you've got a guy that is young and looks like he's had some success with that same $8 million defenseman? Um, I, I think, I think that even if Kempney is playing on like the third pairing, I don't, you know, that, that deal's like better than the Orpic deal, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it'd be, I don't know, it, it's nice to have two guys there that, you know, have the potential to be on the second line. And I think both of those guys could play on, on either the second or third defensive pairing. So, uh, I'm not, I'm not too worried about it. We'll, we'll see how this next juice contract goes, but, um, all in all, I'm not too upset about the, the I think, I think the company deal was great. So, uh, um, yeah, I agree. I'm not, um, I'm being a little bit, I know some people who are a bit more, yeah. Uh, people were down on the company deal. Well, yeah. Uh, they thought it was a lot for a guy that didn't have a ton of NHL experience. Yeah, maybe. Um, you know, I think. Yeah, I don't know. You look at the, 
when you look at the dollar value, if he gets pushed to the third pair, it's not like, uh, you know, a huge backbreaker team, right? Like if, if Juice, especially on entry level or RFA contracts, if Juice manages to outperform Kempney and, and takes that spot with Carlson, then all that means is that you've got Kepney on your third pair, which, which puts you in a great spot. And I would expect him to have, you know, phenomenal possession numbers if he got that kind of utilization. So it doesn't really change anything for me. I, I think Juice ultimately had just about as good a season as you could have, you know, anticipated. I, uh, again, I'm not trying to like throw out tens, but when I, when I say, when I look at my, my expectations and I ask myself, what else could you have expected from Juice out of this year? It's hard for me to envision a scenario that was not wildly unrealistic, uh, where he does better than this. So, I mean, he's, he's definitely one of the guys who I think is at a, a nine or a 10 just because, you know, objectively without the cup, they really, you know, you could not have expected more from them. No, no, I think that's a, that's a great assessment and I've got no qualms with it. Um, well, well done, Rob. Well, let's talk a little bit about Lars Eller. He of the Stanley Cup winning goal. Um, Lars Eller got a new contract in the middle of the year, which are really not middle of the year isn't really accurate, right? It was, it was pretty close to, uh, playoff like time. If I'm right? rec- yeah, it was. And, uh, he went on to tally 18 points in 24 playoff games. Um, with the Capitals and he, he actually was playing 17 minutes a game on average. Granted, uh, that, that is going to be bumped up a little bit by playoff games, uh, that go into overtime, but he, he had a miraculous kind of run. Um, he, he scored the Capitals first game winning goal of the playoffs and he also scored their last. Um, and both goals were incredibly important. You might not get to the last one without his first. So, um, you know, lots of great things to say about Lars Eller, but what, what were your thoughts, Rob? Well, yeah, he's, I mean, last, last week, I feel like we got a, a few, um, spare parts in our, in our conversation. And this week <laughs> we're kind of loaded up with, with some guys that I think actually are, are looking at tens. I think Eller is another one. I mean, he had a career high in the regular season in points. He had a career high in the playoffs. He stepped in for Backstrom. And I think if you, if you ask any Capitals fan, how many games against the Penguins and Lightning they are going to win without Backstrom? The answer would probably be zero. And I, I frankly was really amazed by how well Eller stepped into that role. So, uh, you know, unlike JP, who, who shared some some pretty amazing um, details around, you know, him and his uh, feelings with Eller and his son and, and some of the things that have mm-hmm. gone on this year, I did not come into this year as a Lars Eller fan. I came in. Uh, quite frankly, very frustrated with his penalties. I thought he was ready to be the new Troy Brower. He looks like a guy who, you know, that he's great possession hockey. They spend a lot of time at the right end of the ice, but he just looks like a terrible finisher and, uh, takes a bunch of penalties. And so I saw that extension and I was like, what the hell? Why are you committing so early to a guy who, who, you know, he's good, but he's replaceable. Uh, and then he went off in the playoffs and it was like, all right, well, it's all worth it. And then July 1st happened and that contract after July 1st looks like a steal. So, you know, I've got uh, a complete 180 with Lars Eller and, and I think he's uh, a huge, he's going to be a huge part of this team, especially now that Toronto is so loaded up the middle and you look at some of the teams in the East, I think they're going to really need to have that, that center depth. So for him, aside from the, you know, Stanley Cup winning goal, that Columbus goal was huge, obviously, but that was as fluky as it gets. So I have a hard time giving him too much credit there. I mean, that's, that's just a, a ridiculous bounce, but I, I mean, he had a great year and I don't think they win the Stanley Cup without him just based more on what he did in the, the middle rounds versus, um, the game winning goal. And, you know, he, he definitely, I think, changed my perception uh in the sense that I didn't think he was ever a guy that could be part of a scoring line. I thought he was, you know, he'd really settled into like a checking role with Montreal, but you look at what he did when he got his his time with Vrana and Oshi and that line was just a monster. So I think if your boy Burkowski can can start scoring this year, I think he and Eller could really be 
um, a pretty dangerous pair on that third line and, and could really help the Caps, you know, keep it moving. I think you're dead on there. Um, when the Capitals got Lars Eller, they got him to kind of be the, the key piece of a third scoring line. And uh, in the playoffs, he certainly was. And he, and he did have that upside to be moved up, uh, which, which is really, again, crucial. Um, as you said with Backstrom, kind of ner- not, not only, you know, when Backstrom was out, but when Backstrom returned, he was still nursing the injury. Um, not, not that that really hurt Backstrom's production that much, but, but um, Eller stayed hot and that, that was really important for this team. Um, so, I mean, I, I gotta give Eller, I think, like a nine and a half, ten. I mean, he, he was great. Yeah, I think he's a ten for me because I, I, he had career numbers in regular season and postseason, played up in the lineup. Um, I, I just don't think there's anything that would have been fair to expect. Uh, I also think now having seen how the last couple of weeks played out, you know, we talked a little bit about um, what's going to happen with that fourth line, and and I was more open to keeping Jay Beagle than you were, uh, not at the the numbers that Vancouver signed him at, but you look at this, you know, forward core right now, and you've got Backstrom, Kuznetsov, Eller, and probably Chandler Stevenson or Dowd, I guess, down the middle. But yeah. who's the guy that you're going to have taking your key face-offs? And I'm not in love with the idea of that being Nick Baxter right now, but that that's who it is. Uh, and so you're going to see a lot, you know, Sidney Crosby had that a couple years ago where the Penguins put him on like every defensive zone draw because he was the only guy that could win a draw. And, you know, if that's how it has to work, that's how it has to work. But I would love to see someone who is able to step up and take more of those face-offs and keep Nick and Kuznetsov in the offensive zone. And I'm just not quite sure that they've got that settled yet, um, especially if Eller cannot, you know, refrain from taking all these penalties because when he's in the box, obviously, he's no longer even an option. So now you're saying, does Nick Backstrom or, or Chandler Stevenson take that opening draw? Uh, so if there's one area that I'm, I've got a little bit of concern, it's going to be some of those crucial defensive zone draws, and I think that's the one area where maybe he's going to need to look to step up next year. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't get too bent out of shape about draws, but um, it'd be nice to have – it's always a nice thing to kind of have some guys be able to come in and flex some muscle there. And, uh, you know, if it can't be Eller, maybe they can get one of these the wingers to do well. You know, they, they, they've done that in the past where they just have the winger specialize on the one side. Um, you know, whether that be, you know, when they put Oshie on the draw or, or, or even a Wilson, I think they've, uh, they've experimented some with a little bit, maybe. I, I might just be, uh, completely misremembering that, but for some reason, I, I, maybe I'm just seeing into the future. We'll have to see. Um, let's talk a little bit about yeah, a guy I mean, the, the, who... They'll let the righties take it, but, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's going to be something to watch, but I, I mean, I, I think you're probably right. Overall, I, I tend to think that Faceoffs are overblown, um, but they matter when they matter. And yeah, when they yeah, when it ends up in the back of the net, it, it matters a lot, right? Right, right. And it, it's hard to it's hard to evaluate some of that. I think um, for me, because even even acknowledging that I'm not a big mistake kind of guy, and I try to look at some of the more quantitative things, and you recognize that you know 95% of faceoffs are innocuous. There are still obviously crucial times in the game where you need a guy out there that can win one. And, yeah. uh, you know, Eller is probably going to have to be that guy this year just, just because of how the forwards are shaking out. Yeah. Um, yeah. It'd be nice. I mean, if, if they can get a guy in on the fourth line that can win a couple of key faceoffs, that that would definitely be, be good. Um, let, let, let's keep moving along here and talk a little bit about Braden Holpe. Um, Obviously, the guy had one heck of a postseason, um, and it, you know I, I might be in the minority. I'm not in the minority here, but he he really had to have a good bounce back year because uh, I thought he was kind of awful in the 16-17 playoffs. Or awful is not the right word. He was not as good as he needed to be if the Capitals were to have any reasonable expectation to win the Stanley Cup in 16-17. And, uh, he was not good in the 17 the Penguin series. 
he very clearly I mean, cost them the Penguins series. Uh, right. It's so not, I mean, it's not, not, yeah. not good enough is not the answer. Not good enough is like what you say about Bobrovsky against the Capitals. This yeah. Year. yeah. Okay. He, yeah. He played great against an undermatched team or against an, whatever, uh, with an undermatched yeah, team. Yeah. I, I get what you're saying. And, yeah. And, and it just wasn't good enough. But I mean, I honestly felt like last year the Capitals easily could have won two or three more games, and Braden Holby was not up to the task. This is not no, last year's draft, so, so really it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. And let me, let no, me just but, but look at where his score is right now. No, his regular season was terrible. I mean, he, he's yeah, one of the guys that – Yeah, let's, but let's see. I mean, I bet our fans are giving – yeah, look at that. He's got a bunch of nines, tens, and eights, the vast majority. Obviously, it's because he won the cup. For me, I'm looking at it on like his his regular season was terrible. He lost his job to an admittedly good backup, but he lost his job, uh, and that's part of the the longstanding position I've had around paying goaltenders huge money. Anyway, is that you don't do it because you don't know, you know, <laughs> how they're going to play for how long. Um, yeah. And then he played he played really well in the playoffs, but again, even in the playoffs, I don't feel like I'm one of the higher advocates from there because I felt like other than maybe Columbus because you know they came in down two nothing and, and won four straight, I felt like he had at least one bad game in every single series after that. And yep. it almost cost them Tampa. Um it did. yeah he had great games and, and he had a back to back shutout. But I mean I'm nowhere near a ten on this guy. I'm I'm much closer to like a three in the regular season and like a six or seven in the playoffs. Because even I, I'd go even, down like to a two in the season. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even in the playoffs, we've seen him play much better in the playoffs, right? He had that period where he was, yeah. you know, the the highest active save percentage or whatever. And even with a good year, uh, this year it was still lower than we've seen in the past. So, um, I guess it, part of it is, you know, um, that's just the vagaries of life. He had all his great years and and had a I mean, have has any goalie had more low-scoring one-goal losses than he has? But, you know, this year it uh, oh. came back and he got the wins. Yeah, you know, he so his regular season save percentage in like 14-15, he was 9-23, and next year 9-22, 9-25, 9-07 this year. I mean, it was just not – it was not good enough. I mean, he, he was not – you can try to say the defense wasn't as good. The defense – you know, it wasn't as good, but, but he was bad. Playoffs were, were a different animal, but I, I kind of agree with you. And if you go back and listen to what I was saying in the, in a lot of the recap podcasts I was recording with Kevin, um, you know, I wasn't really enamored with many of Holpe's performances. Um, one of those Tampa games, it might have been game, uh, game four, I think it was that the capital, it was tied kind of late in the third and just Holpe just couldn't. He just didn't make the save, and, and, I, and I thought it was like a, an easy chance, and it was just the kind of stuff that, just, and it was a big mistake thing, and and I I know it was, the, but it was just the Kalorn, the Kalorn back. Right I think there. yeah, yeah, yeah. He like he was not tested like at all that whole game. I felt like and he 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 gave like I think three goals, and I, and I didn't really think he was overly tested, and uh, it didn't help that Vasilevsky was. I, I thought Vasilevsky was amazing in that series. Um, yeah, you know, I'd argue he was better than Holpe. Um, yeah, I actually had a conversation with someone. I was like, could you ever imagine that Vasilevsky would let up 10 goals in the first two games and still come out the better goalie in the series? Yeah, exactly. That That, that is very much kind of how I thought about it as well. It was, um, you know, and the Capitals got a little lucky in game seven as well. Let's not forget that that miraculous. Yeah, Tolkowski scored. Well, not, not even just that, but, uh, I'm talking about that kind of, that, that puck, when the game was still like one nothing and the puck, uh, uh, who, who was right in front for Tampa and it just kind of hit off him and Gord, instead of going I in, it, it just, Gord. Gord, yes, yes, yeah. Gord, uh, and it just kind of deflects off to the side, but, um, yeah, I think that was know, Christian I, Jew's, uh, highlight play, right? It, it was, it was Juice and, and Orpic both were in on that play, uh, definitely yeah, Orpic's well, Juice and Orpic were, were also the, uh, I mean, go ahead and look at that rush again. It was just poorly spaced on a three-on-two. I'm sure. Uh, 
Juice Juice gets credit for kind of coming in for the save, but he got so wide on that original three on two, he basically lets the guy cut down the middle. But you know, you're right. They got lucky. It was a one nothing game at that point, and if Gord slams that one home, you know who knows. Yeah, it's it's brutal, man. Everyone's got to stop saying ten. You're right. These tens are are out of control. The guy he was. He was so bad in the regular season. You can't uh, tell I, me that you've been watching Braden Holtby since like 2012. Yeah. Since 2012 and tell me that this is the best you could possibly have pictured him playing. There's no fucking way. He won a Stanley Cup. That's the most wins you could possibly picture in the playoffs. Sure, he got the 16. But there's no way he just played his best hockey this year. There's just no way. I'd probably give him like a 7 in the playoffs and that's almost a lot of Large part, man, he got lucky with the bounces in that Vegas series, but I mean, I'm very happy he did. Dude, look but. at game, look at your game three against Columbus when, when you're yeah. talking about Lars Eller's game winning goal. He, what did they have? Like two or three pipes that they rang while it was a tie game, including one in overtime. I mean, look, they got the one and that's all that matters, hey, but you, you gotta not. be lucky to win. You gotta be lucky right, to win. Right, but like, are you, are you gonna tell me that like Braden Holtby versus the Bruins in that series? You'd rather have this year's Braden Holtby? No fucking way. That Braden no. Holtby no. was just, like, unbelievable. M- so, maybe everyone's expectations were just really, really low because of how shitty he was in the playoffs last year. Maybe. Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, that, 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 that would be a good excuse for them to use for their, for, for the, the way they did the, man, oh man. <laughs> so 33% of the vote is a 10? Sorry, I, I'm like going through these as we're going and, and looking at the vote. Alright, Brayden Holtby, I, I give you like a, like a five. I, I guess like, like, and that, that's, I feel like that's generous. Yeah, cause you're allowing the playoffs and the cup to average out his, his regular you, what, season. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, I mean, I, I feel okay with that grade. Like, if, if I would have, I guess we should touch this real fast. I, I thought starting Grubauer was without a doubt the correct decision heading into the playoffs. E- even now I say that was the correct decision heading into the playoffs because it, Grubauer earned that spot. And they, yeah, they didn't take I make, actually, uh, okay. I think it's more, well, you know, I'm with you 100% on that. I actually was going to say I think it's more debatable whether who should have started game three was more debatable than who should have started game one. That, that's interesting. I didn't think Grubauer was that awful. He obviously didn't make a couple saves, but I mean, yeah. he was getting beat by some pretty open looks. And when you're talking about like, if ever, if Panarin is good as everyone says he is, then you can't be too pissed off when he gets beat by Panarin, right? So, no. uh, I didn't think he, I didn't think he like bailed the team out, but he didn't, he didn't let up a bunch of stinkers. I mean, we've, we've seen worse playoff games from Holtby. It was just, I think it was more of a, we're down 0-2, he's the guy, we need to like change it up, and, and they did it. Um, but again, like it's not like game three, Holtby went out there and saved the series for them. He just happened to be the guy that was starting when Columbus decided that they were going to start ringing iron. Well, yeah. I would have pulled Grubauer probably after like the second period, I think, in, in game two. I, 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 I might have gone back to him. But I, I just, or maybe even a bit earlier than that, I, I just thought he, he didn't look like he had it. And that's, he, but that, that happens. And, and I still think Grubauer is a great goalie and he's going to do great things in Colorado. So, uh. Yeah, is he? You know. Or he's going to, he's going to language on a train wreck of a franchise. Have fun, buddy. <laughs> oh, he got right. 10 million. He got his 10 million. Good for him. Evgeny Kuznetsov. Um, I think he is a interesting person to rink wrap because I'm happy that Ovechkin won the Conn Smite and I'm not going to apologize for that, but Kuznetsov probably had the better postseason, but, uh, I still want to give him the award to Ovi. I don't know about you. Um, uh, I'm not all that invested in it. Jason Williams won it, or Justin Williams won it with, uh, you know, a few game seven goals. Crosby won it with a lifetime achievement when Bill Kessel should have won it. Yeah. Um, there, there's, it's just a hard award to, to give over, uh, 
a four playoff series thing. Like Malkin, when he won his, it's really Malkin won his because of what he did to Carolina in the ECF. So I could go either way. I mean, I think overall Kuznetsov obviously was the leading scorer, but I thought he was their best player through the playoffs. And I also think, as I've said a bunch of times over the last few years, that goal scoring is the hardest skill in the NHL. And if you're the best at goal scoring, you've got a lot of room to give up in other areas. And if you're the best at goal scoring, other people have to make up a lot. So for Ovi to lead it in goal scoring, so many first goals, um, and not, not to jump ahead and, and um, take JP's thunder, but so many first goals, which were really huge in the playoffs and not to go all like pop psychology, but you look at a team with the history, like the Capitals where they, you know, maybe have been a little uh, mentally fragile over the years. Getting those first goals, especially in Game Seven against Tampa, I think were were some really huge goals for their, you know, emotional state just to keep pushing forward. Uh, so I don't really have a problem with it. If you if you lead if you lead in goals, you always have a case. Um, more importantly, I think Kuznetsov really showed what has been missing from this Caps team over the years, and that's you know, the secondary scoring threat after you get past Nick and Ovechkin. Obviously, Kuznetsov played with Ovi, but, you know, they still needed that second threat, and it wasn't until they got that second line clicking that they finally were able to kind of show the offense at even strength. And it's just perverse that it came in a year where their their even strength offense during the regular season was, you know, not all that impressive. I mean, it was garbage. Um, you know, Isabel Kershudian ha- had all those articles during the year about how the Capitals are trying. They're emphasizing shot quality over quantity, right? And um, the one player, you know, th- there are players out there that, you know, it's definitely believable, right, that there are guys in the league that will pass up lesser quality chances, you know, to an extreme to go for that you know, the ultimate lay-in to go for the 30% chance or the 40 or 50 or whatever. And I think Evgeny Kuznetsov is one of those players. And he, you know, when he's on top of his game, he just, he, he views things so well. Um, and, and the interesting thing about watching him is it doesn't look like he moves his feet that much when he's skating, but he just picks up speed. You know, he, just, he he's always, he, he's slippery. And, uh, yeah, he's always on uh, his edges too. He's, he's always, you're right. He looks like, and I think I didn't hear as much about it from the players, but after that goal against Pittsburgh, they started talking about how fast he is. And if you watch his takeoff, once, you know, hey, it's amazing that he was the one who who caused the turnover, but he really only takes like two strides up the middle, and then he just gets his legs wide, and you can just see him kind of shimmy his weight off the inside edges, and he just keeps moving. And and it is pretty amazing. He doesn't take full strides anymore. He's just there, yeah. Right. And, and you look at like that goal against the Islanders in game seven a few years ago. Again, that was all just using edge work with his feet on the ice. Um, so yeah, definitely slippery, great skater. Uh, I, I just, the sky's the limit for him. Yeah. Uh, he is 25. So he's kind of in that statistical prime. Um, the more hardcore guys are going to tell you he's actually past it, but he uh, he he did put up 83 points this year, which it was his career high, and he did it in uh, only 79 games. And um, you know it's really encouraging to see him get that big contract, and and rather than kind of going the wrong way, uh, to go the right way, especially when the Capitals needed him to. So. Um, I don't have a lot of super specific stuff to say about Kuznetsov. It, it, it's all pretty obvious in my mind. I mean, it, watching his game, it's it's really obvious what he brings to the table. Um, I, I don't, you know, it, you can watch Nick Backstrom, I think, and sometimes not quite. Like if you watch Nick Back one game of Nicholas Backstrom, you're, you're going to miss a lot about his game. You'll miss the, the the fine points of Kuznetsov, but he's an electric player who does things that you know very tangibly show up quickly in my mind. You know it. He does the end ten rushes right. and all the exactly. stuff where it, it jumps yeah, out to sexy. you. It's sexy, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, I gotta, I have high expectations for Kuznetsov, but uh, he had an amazing regular season and an amazing playoffs. Um, I, you know, I'm hard pressed to give him anything less than an eight. 
Yeah, I thought you were about to go drop another 10 on me. Um, I don't think he's he, he wasn't at 100 points in the regular. That that probably would have no, been a 10 for me. But, I mean, well, I, he, he, you know, he did the same thing as Lars Eller. He, he just put up career highs in, in the regular season and the playoffs. The reason I don't think he's a 10 is because, and, and this also, I'll just, also shoehorn this in with your point that, you know, the more hardcore people would say that he's already out of his physical prime. Maybe his yeah. raw physical prime, meaning like just strength, explosiveness, reflexes, maybe. But I think those guys tend to underestimate the mental side of the game and look at how many players play better during the second half of their 20s than the first half of their 20s. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even like a guy like Sidney Crosby, who, who learned through his early 20s and, and got better. Uh, I look at Kuznetsov, and if you go back to like the first time he unveiled that reverse pass from behind the net, I think the first time, or at least the first time I can remember seeing it was against, I think, Calgary, and he ripped off Dennis Weidman in the defensive zone and made the play. And I looked at that, and I was like, this guy has some Pavel Datsuk skill. So if you want to talk about what is the most I could envision Kuznetsov doing, it's that. I could see him actually playing that two-way shutdown center Pavel Datsuk kind of game, not to put too much pressure on him, because he is so slippery, because he's got such great hands. And you saw when he tracked back on Crosby, he's the one that knocked that puck away on that game-winning goal, and then he turned the other way. And that's the kind of thing that Pavel Datsuk was just, you know, killing teams with, was because he could make the defensive play and turn it around. And, you know, Nobody ever reaches their true ceiling or whatever, but I see that in him, and I think that if there's a if there's any more room for him to grow, that's where it is. And if he becomes that, then you know, watch out because now you've got a, a selkie winner who could also win a you know an Art Ross. Yeah, yeah, he uh, he's really been exceptional. The <laughs> it'd be great if he was kind of Pavel Datsuk. Uh, Ask. I mean, I, I believe that was his favorite player growing up. Maybe uh, that's ringing I mean, a bell that's for where me. I got the seed in my thought. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Seventy uh, percent of voters, three hundred fifty-two votes, gave him a, a ten. Twenty-three percent at a nine, and six percent at an eight. So it's one percent for anything less than an eight. So I mean, that's that's fair. <laughs> I don't, yeah. I don't see much of an argument for lower. And, he, you know, he went career high, career high. So at least you can say you couldn't have pictured him doing better because he'd never had. No, um, no. You know, no, like that, Hol- that, that's Holby, a, that's a Holby didn't have career years. So I, I just no, don't understand no. how you give a 10 on a guy who demonstrably did not have a career year. So if, uh, <laughs> you know, if you want to give Kuznetsov the, the 10, I can live with it because he's, for me, he's probably a nine, but. Yeah. Um, I, I go eight. No, obviously, nine, I think I could have seen more in the regular season. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he. I think he also is almost like a microcosm for the team, right? A better finishing talent than average. So, just in general, the possession numbers are not going to necessarily look right. But also, he was below fifty in the regular season, and then turned it on and murdered a bunch of really good teams. Yeah, that in the was playoffs. interesting. And, and so you say like, well, what the, like, first of all, I think a, a 50% Corsi Evgeny Kuznetsov is like a 53% Corsi just because I think he is repeatedly going to beat those, those averages. But I mean, he was at 49 something and then he went, you know, easily above 50 in the playoffs, if I remember. And so you look and you say, what the hell happened? Like, why did they get so much better? And yeah, it wasn't his best regular season, even though he, he still had the box cars. Um, he found <laughs> whatever happened, whatever clicked in that playoffs. I don't know if they were finally just, you know, found the switch or whatever, but something happened and, and a whole bunch of guys starting with him, uh, looked a lot different. Yeah. It, kind of from a team perspective, that that's an aspect that I would still love to see more of. Uh, a team that is playing better competition every night and does better in all of the underlying metrics. And that, that, that was really the case of the, uh, 2017, 18 capitals. So, um, I don't know. That's something I hope you and I can talk about more when we get into the, the last couple rink wraps, uh, here in a few weeks. 
let us talk about Matt Niskanen, who was our last player for the night. Um, I thought Niskanen had a bad regular season. <laughs> um, I, I just didn't think he was nearly as good as we've seen from him in the past. I thought he looked lost a lot, uh, defensively. Uh, granted he was injured to start the year, but you know, I, I love Matt Niskanen. I thought he's, he was kind of, uh, you know, there, there was a real case you could say that he had been their best defenseman for a few years prior to this one. And, uh, in my mind, he just, he wasn't quite the same guy and, uh, he looked better in the playoffs, which was obviously a huge part of the Capitals getting where they did. So, uh, those are my quick thoughts. What about you? Uh, yeah, again, um, sort of a microcosm situation. The injury, you know, I think he got injured in sort of a punctuated manner where he missed games immediately. Not like last year, I think John Carlson had a lingering injury that maybe you would say yeah. impacted him over like a month or so. But I think, I think Niskanen was like out immediately. And then maybe he came back a little bit too early, but it's not like he was playing through a ton of stuff for a while. I think, yeah. you know, for him, it gets back to, you're talking about the guy who got the shutdown minutes and they didn't play that great this year. And if you're not going to play great, the defensemen who play the shutdown minutes are going to reflect that, right? There, there's going to be, there's no way you're going to get, have a, a mediocre season, uh, asterisk. They won the division, but there's no way you're going to have a mediocre season and your shutdown pair is aces, right? You're not getting beat by third and fourth lines. So to some degree, he had to have, you know, he and, and Orlov had to have struggled a little bit. But, again, it was a regular season. They still won the division, and and then he turned it on. So, I again, no idea what's going on there. Um, but I thought that they really needed that calming presence, um, especially with, you know, the amount of rookies and the trades that were moving around the lineup. I thought, you know, he and Orlov really had to lock it down because that was the only pair that was – you know, pretty stable throughout the year. And the also, the other thing that I thought was really interesting, and I'm not um, 100% sure what to make of it, but if you look at the kind of the scatter plot with and without you chart that we have, his mm-hmm. with you is so clustered compared to some of the other ones. And it, it's like everyone with Niskan in looks almost exactly the same. And then without them, without him, he, they're all over the place. And I just kind yeah. of wonder what is, what is it about him that sort of kind of brings the team to a, a kind of calming center, not necessarily on the right side of that um, diagonal 45-degree axis, but they're all right there. So basically, you know, kind of what that implies to me is that he's sort of a, a controlling factor more so than some of the players around him, meaning, you know, when he's on the ice, this is what happens versus, um, you know, the other players are, are impacting his performance. <laughs> and he plays, he plays maybe the most crucial role. Um, but yeah, the, the injury impacted him. And, and again, he was another guy who didn't have a great regular season. So, uh, his, his points aren't there, but you know, I, I don't see this team holding up without him because of, uh, you know, the, the role he plays in terms of, um, all three phases and, and obviously the toughest minutes. Yeah. You know, I'm just giving him a five though. Like I, he met my expectations, I think, on aggregate. Um, uh, I, I just didn't think in the regular uh, – maybe it's the possession numbers and, and all that stuff, but the team was worse kind of in general. As you said, with the clustering and everything, it um, – I don't know. I, I, he just – in other years, I feel like he's really – he's impressed me a bit more just kind of with his overall play. Um he is, he's not like a spring chicken anymore. He is a, you know, he, he's past 30 years old and, uh, you gotta be happy for him uh, on, on how things worked out and you gotta be happy for the Capitals. That contract they signed him to was definitely a good one and it's, uh, a big part of the reason they were able to be Stanley Cup champions. So, uh, kudos to Matt Niskanen who plays a not very sexy game, but, uh, definitely sexy enough, uh, to, to get them where they need to be. Yeah, uh, I agree. I'm not fighting you on that five. I wasn't trying to, you know, put him up into no, the, no, no, no. the higher scores again. I just, I just don't want to see the guy, uh, take an undue amount of heat <laughs> just because, um, 
you know, there were some, there were some really, um, sexy performances and, you know, Carlson got the money and he had all the points, but I think this defensive core doesn't go the way it goes without Niskanen. Um, you know, and, and his rate scoring was not that far off when you yeah. look at, you know, the games that he's missed and he's injured. So I, I think he's still right there. He is what he is and hopefully he can age kind of gracefully. But, um, the nice thing is that, you know, the D's locked up. There's some younger guys coming up and now that Carlson's around forever, they can hopefully continue to, to manage his ice time and, and not have to necessarily, you know, worry about some of those other, um, you know, ways that they're going to fill the, fill the lineup out. You know, I, I think I'd go. My Capitals defenseman power rankings is probably Orlov, Carlson, Niskanen. Maybe Carlson, Orlov, Niskanen. But I think I think prior to this year it would have been Niskanen, then Orlov slash Carlson. So uh, that's the same thing if you're protecting a lead. Uh, you're seriously going to go with Orlov? No, Orlov is your no. first guy if you're protecting a lead. Well, Orlov plays on the ice with, with Carlson, or with Niskanen rather. So, it's, I'm just talking about all situations. I'm not gonna limit, like, there's, power ranking isn't in one specific situation, it's in aggregate. I mean, in aggregate. You, you have to account for all those situations. I, I think, uh, I, I think on Niskanen average, is the most you're even gonna one. play them. Uh, like most, if, let's just take those three. Yeah. It's just those three, right? And if you're going to rank those three guys across even strength, power play, and penalty kill, you're going to have power plays or- Carlson. Yeah, Carlson is and number then, one, then Orlov, then Niskanen, right? Yeah. But then the even strength, <laughs> even strength. Are you really going to put Orlov ahead of Niskanen and on, on the penalty Probably. kill? Probably. You put Orlov. You're going to put Orlov ahead of Niskanen. Uh, I mean, why wouldn't you? At even strength. Well, aside from the fact that. It breaks reality to assume that they're not playing together, but because <laughs> Niskanen is the because Niskanen is the guy that is the reason that they're pay, playing their top minutes. Like, yeah, Orlov's yeah. gonna have all all of the stats out of that pair, but Niskanen is the reason that they're playing Sidney Crosby and Steven Stamkos, right? It's it's not because well, of so, someone's got to play those guys. Yeah, yeah, you got to have a line out there and. I mean, we, we've seen Orlov's defensive game grow, and we're going to go into his recap on our next episode, which will not be recorded for over a week, just so our listeners know. I will be out of the country and unable to record. Um, but uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I just think I, I would give it – I think Orlov at this point in their careers is is the bigger uh, driver at 5-on-5 five five from the back end. Um, if we're talking about who do we want solely in a defensive role, uh, yeah, I think I'd take Niskanen over Orlov for sure. But, um, I, I think with the way the game is currently played, Orlov is, is got the higher, uh, mobility. And that's probably the, the more important deciding factor for me if I'm trying to, to put an optimal lineup together. Well, he's definitely got the higher mobility, but he's also, you know, he's also got the higher puck skills, but, I mean, I don't know, I, I guess maybe we differ on how far he's come on his defensive game. For me, he's, yeah. he's come far enough to not just give away free candy, which is fine. <laughs> but, I mean, I think I I must just obviously value the quieter parts of the game more than you do because having a guy like Niskin and who, who isn't making those plays and isn't going to do that end-to-end rush like against the Flyers all the, all that often, but you you, like, really need those guys defensively to keep things calm and get the puck out of your zone. And I just don't like, if you put Orlov with anyone else on that team, but John Carlson, I, I don't think that it holds up because you need oh, someone yeah, out there because, that's, that's going to be able to, the, well, right. But if you're going to tell me that Orlov is the priority, the right if you're going to tell me that Orlov is the number one defenseman on this team, or even that he's ahead of Niskanen, then you've got to be ready to defend that you'd put him out there with juice or Bowie or whoever else. Right? Who are you gonna put Niskanen in? Who are you gonna put Niskanen with on on the left side I'm that gonna, you feel? I'd rather put Niskanen in Juice than Orlov and Bowie or Orlov and Juice or Orlov and any of them. I mean Niskanen right, so like, and Bo Niskanen and Juice, I bet you, is a pretty good pair. 
Well, as you said, Niskanen's skill set, I think, it does a better job of you're going to get what you're going to get with Niskanen on the ice, which I think is a great point for what you're trying to trying to make. But I think if you put, like, a good guy with Orlov, you'll get more than a good guy with Niskanen. Does that make sense? Do you, do you, like, I, I think that Orlov can provide more if he's got a competent partner. Like, Niskanen's going to do what he's going to do. I don't know. It's... No, well, it, yeah, it's it's an interesting thing from, from like uh, a true production. Like, yeah, if you're gonna say I want to I want to put a line out there that I can give offensive zone faceoffs and third pair minutes and murder people, then obviously Orlov would do that. You know, I give, I, Orlov, I, I give him more than not, third I'm not saying minutes, third No, no, I'm yeah, not saying okay, he's. Okay. I'm saying like like if you were gonna put Orlov in like the Mike Green role that they had with Barry Trotz. Where they were just like, fuck it, I don't trust you in the defensive zone, but go out there and murder people. Orlov could have done that same thing that Mike Green did, right? But you can't go the other way and then just say, do I want you out there against Sidney Crosby? And Orlov is only going to be able to do that if you put him with Niskanen. Yeah, I mean, or maybe like a competent two-way defenseman, and Niskanen is more than just a competent two-way defenseman. No, yeah, for sure, he's definitely more, right. So. I mean, I don't know. So you're saying like it's, it's, I think it's? I think it's hard to. I think it's hard to evaluate them separately. Uh, I think it's kind of where, where how I'm well, feeling yeah, now, they, just because they've they played they play, they've played like, together the majority of their minutes over the last. Let's see. What, so would what, you like Orlo- Would you rather would you rather see Orlov and Carlson and Niskanen? With, and with the Capitals available personnel, I, I don't think I. I don't think or I don't think there's another really solid complement to Orlov's style. On the Capitals' current roster, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Because I mean, it makes perfect sense. Because I think Orlov is the most um, individually dynamic offensive one. Yeah. And 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 Niskanen's the most um, competent defensive. I don't. I don't want to sure. stay at home because it, it it doesn't. No, because he's not. Uh, no, that's yeah. That that undervalue his. What he what he. He's a better puck moving defenseman than a traditional stay at home guy. Uh, we're 50 minutes into this podcast, so um, do you have any last thoughts before we uh, close it out? Yeah, only just that Orlov is not the number one defenseman on this team. Well, good thing we were talking about power rankings, not about anything else. So, uh, also good thing that I don't think Orlov was in <laughs> in our list today, so it's irrelevant. But no, Orlov <laughs> is the next rank rep. So if you have any comments about Orlov and want to get them into us before we record the episode, hit us up on Twitter. I am at Stringham A. Rob is Rob Parker Jr. Rob also is the only one who wants to hear from you about why it's okay that you gave every single player a 10 in their rink wrap. So make yeah. sure you reach out to Rob. Thanks again, personal, everybody. Personal uh, justifications, personal. every single one. Once you vote, <laughs> you must, must find me on Twitter and tell Stick me with why. It. You have to justify your 10 without using the word Stanley Cup. Ooh. That, that'd be really difficult. All right. Um, thanks again, everybody, for listening. Uh, I, I know this has been an easier summer to listen than summers past, and uh, we love that you guys are sticking with us. So uh, reach out to That's us on me, social right? media. Yeah. Yes. It's because of Rob, not because of the Stanley Cup. Of anything else. The ultimate, the ultimate 10. All right. Thanks again, everybody, and we'll be back hopefully in uh, about a week and a half. Again, everybody.